chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Philippians 3, 12 to 21. In a study I'm calling Win, Win, Win. See, Alice Nava taught me that when we coached our kids, what was it, four-year-old through six-year-old? And, and, and oftentimes, the referee would have to come over to our sidelines where we were coaching indoor soccer and say, hey, tell, tell the other man. So win, win, win. The Apostle Paul would have agreed with us. Let's pray, with that. Let's pray together. Father, thanks so much for the chance to, Lord, just gather near to you. Lord, we thank you for... Um, Lord, the fact that, Lord, you're really all that we need, and that's so true. Such a good reminder, Lord. Such a good word. And, Lord, we pray that that would be the, the focus of our heart, Lord, the focus of our minds, the focus of our lives. Lord, to live for you and for your glory. Thank you for your grace, Lord, for its sufficiency and, and for its changing power in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you continue that good work tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you had to illustrate the Christian life, what would that illustration be? Well, here's a couple of things that the Apostle Paul gives us to illustrate the Christian life. The, uh, Warren Wiersbe in his commentary says this. He says, in his letters, Paul uses many illustrations from the world to communicate truth about the Christian life. Four are prominent. The military, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Architecture, you are the temple of God. Agriculture, Whatsoever man sows, shall he also reap in athletics. As we are given this passage tonight, we're going to see Paul uses one of those athletic illustrations tonight in verses 12 through 14. We're going to see that Paul looked at his Christian life and ministry as a runner who ran in order to win a race and receive his reward. Now, these things weren't just Paul's runkeeper stats, you know, that he would, would post, you know, and, and brag about but they were actually an encouragement to the believers, an encouragement to you and I. In verses 15 to 21, we're told that we're to follow Paul's example. So in other words, Paul gave us these things to teach us what the Christian life is like. He says, hey, you wanna know what the Christian life is like? Here it is. It's like a runner running a race, and we all need to run to win that we may receive the reward. As we work through this text tonight, we're gonna to learn a couple important insights from Paul on how we can run our race, our Christian life, to win. So first, in verse 12, we learn that we're not to ever settle. We're never to settle. Not that I have attained, already attained, or am already perfect, but, am, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And so Paul was very clear to the Philippians here that even after some 30 years of being a Christian and serving the Lord, he had not attained perfection. Attain refers to his desire to know Christ, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And that's what he referred to in our study last week. He says, hey, that's my desire. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And now Paul writes and says, hey, even after 30 years of serving the Lord, I have not attained these things. Paul did know Jesus, obviously. He's teaching us about the Lord. Paul knew the power of the resurrection as God was able to use Paul and work through his life. And Paul also, at this time, suffered a lot. I mean, he had been suffering. But yet he said, as long as God has me here on earth, he's not done with me. Paul knew that God was going to continue to work, to continue to work these things through his life. Perfected refers to salvation. 
God has done a perfect work in us by saving us of our, from our sins, giving us his Holy Spirit, and also declaring us righteous. But we're not perfect. We're far from perfect. And Paul knew that he had never reached sinless perfection, and he would not reach sinless perfection in his body. He understood that as long as he was in the flesh, he would still struggle with evil desires and the propensities to sin. And that's what he illustrated in Galatians 5. He says, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary to one another. And so, yes, we're born again. God has done a perfect work in our lives. He's declared us righteous. He's given us power over sin. But nevertheless, those evil desires and those propensity to sins haven't gone away. They still remain. They're left over from the old man which was crucified. But yet daily we're to reckon that old man dead. We're to say no to the flesh and yes to God. So understanding that God was not done yet didn't discourage Paul, but it motivated him. It kept him encouraged to never settle, but to strive for a greater work in his life. He didn't say, well, I'm not perfect, so I guess I should just give up, or I haven't attained yet, so maybe I'll never attain. And so, no, he didn't say that at all, but rather he continued to press forward. I like this quote here. He says, I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I'm told by the Greek scholar Kenneth Wiest that the phrase lay hold of carries the idea of grabbing hold of somebody and pulling him down. And he uses the illustration of a football player of running after his man, grabbing hold of him, pulling him down and making him his own. And this is how Paul looked at God's work in his life. You see, God got a hold of Paul's life on the road to Damascus. Paul was kind of doing his own thing. He was out as a um, Pharisee with orders from the Sanhedrin to go and arrest Christians and bring them back. And he even got authorization to go as far as Syria. And while he was on the road to Damascus, the Lord met him, resurrected. And Paul fell to his knees and said, Lord, you know, what do you want me to do? And Jesus communicated him his plan for, for his life. And so God got a hold of, 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 uh, of Paul's life there. And now Paul's desire was that he would continue to serve God as a result of that. Paul desired to live out his Christian faith with zeal. And this is why he wrote Ephesians 2.10. He says that we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God had prepared that we would walk in them. And so, yes, God got a hold of Paul's life, but Paul said, but God's not done yet. Now I have the obligation to work out my salvation, to, to press forward, to grab hold of all those things that the Lord has for me. He knew that the Lord had prepared good works that he would walk in them, but he knew that he couldn't experience them by just sitting back and just saying, I'm just gonna let go and let God. He said, no, I need to pull those things down. And in a sense, God got a hold of me, and now I need to get hold of these things by working out my salvation. And that's exactly what we see from the life of Paul in the book of Acts and also in his epistles. Paul wasn't the guy who says, hey, I'm just gonna sit back. Paul said, hey, let's go for it. He was always seeking to press forward to see what God would do. And also in his epistles, we see that he desired to even go to Spain and preach the gospel. So he was always seeking to press forward to experience more things uh, for God and to do um, greater things for the Lord. It was a passion of his it was the same passion and effort of an athlete that would not settle for her time, his or her time, or their level. They wanted to excel, right? And that's what an athlete does. I mean, you know, they lift a certain weight, I wanna lift more, or I run a certain amount, well, I, I can run that faster. And that's how Paul looked at his life. He was continuing to press forward 
to grab hold of those things that the Lord had, that he, the Lord had planned for him. Now, this phrase, that I may lay hold of that which Christ has also laid hold of me, reminds me of the children of Israel in the book of Joshua. You see, God told the children of Israel when they came to land, he said, he said every place you put the sole of your foot, I've given to you. And so God had promised them victory, but yet it was up to the children of Israel to go in and possess their possessions. In a sense, that's kind of what Paul's saying here. He says, hey, listen, God is working, he's working this amazing plan in your life. You're his workmanship. He has good work for you. He's laid hold of these things. Now it's your responsibility to work out your salvation, to, to go for it and see what God will do. Second, in verses 13 through 14, we see that we're to run with a purpose. Brethren, I do not count myself to, app- to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and, forgetting, uh, and, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. So Paul had not fully attained, or as it can be translated, uh, apprehended uh, the things that the Lord had for him. He knew that personally, God had more for him, and so because of that, it drove him to press forward. He knew that in order for him to attain all that God had for him, he had to stay focused and not get sidetracked on other issues. And the way that he stayed focused was by not looking back. You know, it's impossible to run an effective race while also looking back at the same time. You're not gonna, you know, you, you know it's not very effective. All of us aren't gonna run very fast. And I remember in high school and playing baseball, the coach would always tell you if you played outfield, you know, you would never watch the ball when it was hit over your head. And the first thing you'd do is you would turn around, put your head down and run and find the fence, right? And then turn around and, and find the ball because you can't run very fast while you're trying to look at the ball. In the same way for a runner, Paul says, here's what I do. I forget those things which are behind and I look forward, I press forward to the mark. In the same way for you and I, if we're gonna experience all that God has for us, if we're to do good works for the Lord, then we need to forget those things which are in the past. Now in context, Paul's referring to his success as a scholar before Christ. You know, we, we learned about that last week and how he had all these different things, attainments, but he said he counted them all rubbish for Christ. No doubt he also referred to his accomplishments already with the Lord. He said, I forget those things, I'm looking forward. Now we're to not look back we're not look back as far as our mistakes, our sins, or our failures. You see, worrying about those things and obsessing over them can't change the past. It only distracts you from doing right now what the Lord wants you to do. It's just the enemy who's just gonna condemn you about those things in the past. And whenever you wanna step out for the Lord, he's always gonna bring those things up and, and plague your mind. But rather, we just need to let the Lord deal with those things. Now, if we have sins in our life that we haven't, confessed or repented of, well, we need to do that. When the Lord says, hey, you know, here's something in your life. Okay, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I agree with you. I'm wrong. I, I'm pressing forward. But if you repented of it, then don't let the enemy condemn you over it. If there's open division, well, then seek re- reconciliation. If you made a mistake at one time, well, then just learn from it and press forward. But don't dwell on the past. It only tears you down, drags you down in the future. It's like putting weights on your feet when you're trying to run. Also, we're not to look at our successes. Looking back at our success is a temptation to put things down on autopilot and just kind of coast. It's kind of like a football player, you know, who plays hard for the first couple of years and gets that big contract, just kind of cruises along for the rest of the time. And we're not to be like that. We're to be runners who are focused ahead, desiring to get the prize. What is that prize? Look at verse 14. 
I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul's motivation, this focus of his to keep him going forward was not popularity, money, or even personal accomplishments, but it was the prize, his goal, which was the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul ran for heaven's glory. John, you know, the, with Eric Little, right, from Chariots of Fire, he probably stole this from Paul. Uh, when I run, I feel his glory, kind of thing. And Paul, he ran for the Lord's glory. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus is believed, is believed to be the time in which Paul would be called home to heaven and stand in front of Jesus. And so that was his motivation. He said, I'm not trying to gain a bigger ministry or get more money or, or do any of those things. I'm just trying to run to please the Lord because I know one day I'm gonna stand in front of him. We know that this was Paul's focus because he wrote about it in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Let me read it to you. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And so Paul here had this idea of the Greek games in mind. And the fact that as a person ran, they would receive this perishable crown. They would get honor from men. But he said, I run, but not for this perishable crown, but an imperishable crown, for the crown of righteousness, for the rewards that I'm gonna receive from the Lord at the Bema, the reward seat, as he talked about in 2 Corinthians 5. When we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so Paul's vision of heaven kept him pressing forward to not settle but to continue to seek greater things. Another example from Joshua reminds me of is Caleb. Remember Caleb? You know, there's Caleb. After many years, he came and he said, hey, Joshua, I know that the Lord has more work for me, so give me this hill and, I, and I'll take it. And in a sense, Paul said, hey, after 30 years of ministry, Paul's like, hey, man, let's go for it. I haven't obtained anything. The Lord still has so much more, and I'm excited to see what, what he wants to do. Third, in verses 15 to 19, we learn that we're to follow Paul's life and training instructions. Verse 15, therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. The word therefore indicates that Paul now is gonna apply it to these believers. He says, hey guys, I'm talking about my personal runkeeper goals here, but now I wanna encourage you to follow my example. I wanna encourage you to press forward in the same way. This is how you're to look at the Christian life. This is how you're to look at your ministry. And I love that Paul says, if you think otherwise, by the way, you're wrong, immature, and oh yeah, by the way, God's gonna correct you for thinking about that like that. If you are mature, which means you'll, you'll be able to discern God's will, he said, you'll follow my example. And so Paul clearly believed that he was writing inspired truth to these believers because he knew without a doubt that what he was writing was not just his own personal opinion about his life. He says, hey, this is God's word. And if you disagree with me and you're God's saint, well, the Lord's gonna change your heart. He'll show you otherwise to show you that what he was teaching was right and that we're to follow his lead. Verse 16, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, 
Let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. And so these believers, they were to get right in line with Paul. They were to take the lane right next to him and, and run in the power of the Spirit and preach the gospel of grace. And the same thing for, for you and I. We're to continue to, you know, to do the same thing. We're to walk in the power of the Spirit, not begin relying on our flesh or on religion or any other ritual. We're to stay focused on the gospel of grace, the message that the Lord has given us. The methods might change at times, but the message always stays the same. They were to take note of those men who followed Paul's example, men like Timothy and Epaphroditus, who we already talked about um, in, in chapter uh, one and two. These men who served the Lord and who were faithful and following Paul's ministry, and in the same way, we're to respect those leaders and, and, and ministers who followed Paul's example and teach the word and, and follow his example to press forward and to um, live for the Lord's glory. Now, we are to use this, um, do this with discernment. We're not to allow ourselves to be sidetracked by false teaching and worldly philosophies because as Paul tells us now in verse 18, they're out there. He says, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they're enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. And so now he's saying, hey, listen, follow my example. Note those men who follow my example. But oh yeah, by the way, look out for those guys who don't, these false teachers, these guys who he calls enemies of the cross of Christ. It's a serious accusation, right, from the apostle Paul. And these guys were enemies of the cross of Christ. They went around and preached a different gospel. They preached the gospel of faith plus works, and because of that, they denied the work of Jesus on the cross. The whole basis of the cross is that man is justified by a sinful God by faith alone. That's the work of Jesus on the cross, not of works. But yet these men were coming on the scene saying, well, yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross, but that's really not enough. There's a lot more you have to do. You have to keep the law and you also have to do these other things. And Paul said, that's a different gospel. In reality, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. They were teaching a different way. Second, these false teachers were trying to teach people um, how to be saved, and yet they weren't even following it themselves. They weren't even saved themselves. Look at verse 19. It says, their end is destruction. Now, destruction does not mean annihilation, but ruination, by being separated from the presence of God and eternal judgment. So these guys weren't saved at all. They were trusting in religion. They were trusting in their own works. They didn't put their faith in Christ, and because of that, they weren't justified or saved. Third, the lives of these false teachers were consumed with the flesh and its evil desires. Their God was their belly. This means that they only lived to satisfy their own fleshly desires, their own appetites. Fourth, their glory was in their shame. The things that they gloried in, they should have been ashamed of. They boasted in this evil and crooked world and, were, and were, you know, when in reality they should have followed Paul's example and been separated from this world. And so this is what Paul's saying about these guys. And fourth, in verses 20 through 21, we learn that we're to run hard because this could be our last lap. Verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body 
that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to even to subdue all things to himself. And so, just as these Philippians lived in a Roman colony, Philippi, which was separated from Rome, even so, you and I as believers are citizens of heaven, but yet we live in a separate city from the city of heaven, you know, the new Jerusalem, which is gonna come. We might live in Hanford or Fresno or Lamore or wherever it might be, but yet we're all citizens of heaven. And because we're citizens of heaven, we have given the opportunity to run this race that the Lord has called us. And that's really a privilege because a person couldn't compete in the games unless they were a citizen. And the same thing for you and I, we can't run unless we're a citizen of heaven, unless we've given our life to Jesus. Now, Paul believed that this was his last lap. He eagerly waited for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is referring to the rapture of the church. So once again, Paul believed that the rapture was imminent. He, he believed that it can come at any moment. And because he believed that it was his last lap, he was gonna give it all he had and run hard. You know how these runners, you know, they pace themselves, you know, and they train themselves. You know, when they're on that last lap, they get that burst out speed. In the same way, we should have that burst out speed as we walk with the Lord because we believe that Jesus can come back at any moment. Now, the Lord is gonna continue to fill us with the Spirit. He'll give breath in our lungs. He'll give us the energy and power to continue to run hard. The good thing is, is we can run and not grow weary, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? You know, as we trust in the Lord, we won't faint, but we'll have his power. Not by power, nor, nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so the Lord will give us that power to continue to, continue to press forward until uh, the rapture comes. And this is what motivated Paul, kept him pressing forward. He knew Jesus was gonna resurrect the dead and rapture the church. And after that, the reward seat would come. And he wanted to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so if we had to illustrate our Christian life, Paul says, here's a good illustration of it. It's like running a race. It's not like watching a movie, right? Where we sit back. No, but it's where we're actively involved in it. Where we're pressing forward to seek and to receive all that God has for our lives. Amen?